evening, TPC family, and welcome to our Wednesday night service, and welcome to our second part in the series, Lessons from Black History Month. You know, I had the opportunity to share with you guys last week from Honduras. Um, obviously, I'm back here in the States. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm really encouraged by this series. Um, you know, as I mentioned last week, one of the things that uh, I was impacted by was my experience there in Honduras in the context of learning about uh, Black History Month. And I'm, I'm hoping that as I share some of these experiences that I've had, that it encourages you and, and, and it inspires you to learn from our uh, African-American brothers and sisters in the faith that have made some incredible sacrifices that have made um, some inc incredible strides and, and have given us an example to follow. So as we move into week two, you know, last week I just kind of talked a little bit about um, the impact that it had on me and, and some of the things that we can be inspired by in regards to our, our African-American brothers and sisters in the past and in the present. But this week I, I want to share a couple stories from uh, some of the faithful African-Americans who sort of set the bar in regards to faith. Uh, but I also want to take a, a little bit of time and share some practical steps that we can take in regards to racial reconciliation. You know, I know uh, right now most people are thinking about COVID, um, or, or, you know, maybe some things going on politically or whatever. Uh, it's been eight, nine months since the, the George Floyd murder last summer. And unfortunately, that conversation is pretty much dissipated. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate things we tend to do when it comes to discussing important issues such as racial reconciliation, um, we allow the, the political culture to dictate priority in regards to uh, whether or not an issue needs to be addressed at this time or not. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, there was a lot of discussion regarding racial reconciliation and racial injustice, uh, obviously sparked by the George Floyd murder, uh, and even for a couple months, but then the political winds changed, then the political wave moved on to other things, and of course we had the, the very contentious election and just all kinds of things. Well, as leaders, one of the things it's really important to do is to do the things that are important to do, uh, regardless of the focus of the culture, regardless of what is politically expedient or politically uh, a priority. And for us in the church, it's, it is even more important to make sure that we don't follow the political winds, that we don't follow the cultural, um, you know, issue of the day, if you will. We're called to be countercultural. Uh, we're, we're called to sort of be the moral compass in a culture, um, and, and and we're called to be just the 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 light to the culture rather than a reflection of the culture. So when it comes to racial reconciliation, it's something that we can never allow to be swept under the political rug, to be swept under the cultural rug. Uh, it's something we have to constantly fight for. And it's something that, that A, is worth fighting for, 
but B is going to require us to fight for because there are a lot of a lot of areas of resistance when it comes to racial reconciliation. And there's a lot of difficult things we're going to have to work through. Uh, so that, that's why I want to talk today about some practical things we can do. But before I do that, I want to get into a, a couple quick stories. You know, I, I mentioned last week some things that I was inspired by in regards to Black History Month and, and some of the stories that, that I have read uh, in regards to uh, some great African-American uh, heroes of the faith. And there's just two I want to mention tonight. Uh, one, obviously, we're going to be very familiar with. Uh, if you if you have any, um, uh, if you've done any research or, or, or have uh, had any background in learning about the the slavery movement, um, then um, you you are going to be familiar with one of these. Uh, the other, you're probably not going to be familiar with because I wasn't uh, familiar with with this individual uh, either. Uh, of course, there's a lot more. You know, there's there's those that were everybody pretty much knows. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, th those individuals that uh, a lot of people are very familiar with. Uh, the one I want to start off with again, you're probably going to be familiar with her. Uh, she's known as the Black Moses, which is Harriet Tubman. Uh, if you're not familiar with Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman um, again is considered the Black Moses because. Uh, she was the primary conductor, if you will, on the Underground Railroad. Uh, she was a slave, and she was able to secure her own freedom, but she wasn't satisfied with her own freedom. Uh, she wanted to help other slaves become free, and she started a movement that would eventually become known as the Underground Railroad. It was basically the, the uh, hidden path by which slaves in the South could get to the north in order to secure their freedom. Well, after she was able to secure her own freedom, uh, she went back, uh, crossing the southern line, if you will, uh, over 19 times, and she helped over 300 slaves secure their freedom. Well, Harriet Tubman was definitely a woman of faith. Uh, let me read a, a quote from her in regards to her effort to secure the freedom and, and the, the, uh, the desire in her to not just be comfortable with her own freedom, but to help other African Americans who were stuck in slavery. And, and this, is, this quote will clearly state the reality of her faith. Now she said this, I always told God, I'm going to hold steadily on you, and, and you've got to see me through. So not only did she call on the Lord, she trusted the Lord to walk her through this. Uh, it, was, it, was almost, it, was, it was not almost, it was a death sentence for a freed slave to return in order to help other freed slaves. You know, there was a bounty, literally a bounty on her head. Uh, had they caught her, no doubt. Um, they would have murdered her for her efforts to free other slaves. So she put her trust in the Lord uh, to help her fulfill this desire that the Lord put in her. No doubt it was the Lord who put that in her to, to help others become free. And, you know, the Lord protected her. Uh, she, she went back 19 times and helped over 300 slaves uh, become free. And she said this, you know, uh, in regards to looking past or looking at the end of her, her career, if you will, or, or, or her efforts. 
uh, she was able to say, I never lost a passenger. Uh, she was able to secure the freedom of every single person that she was able to um, uh, help. Uh, she didn't lose any one of them. And clearly, the Lord answered her prayer when she said, and you've got to see me through. And he clearly did. So that, that's Harriet Tubman, the, the Moses, if you will, uh, the black Moses of the Underground Railroad. And I think most people are familiar with Harriet Tubman. She's, she's very much a, a storied figure uh, in black history. But she's also uh, a hero of the faith. Uh, what a great example of how faith should impact our lives in regards to social justice, in regards to helping those who can't help themselves or those who need our help. And, and believe me, there's a lot of people in our, in our world today uh, that need those of us who have been blessed by God to turn around and help others to experience that same blessing. That's exactly what Harriet Tubman did. Uh, she was blessed to, to secure her own freedom, but uh, she wasn't content with that. And she didn't just sit back and enjoy the comfort of freedom. She was willing to sacrifice that freedom for the freedom of others. Uh, so, you know, for us today in the church, one of the things we'll talk about here in a little bit is the importance uh, of, of us not sitting back in our own comfort zone, uh, not enjoying the blessings of God just for ourselves. Now, we certainly want to enjoy those blessings, but those blessings create a responsibility. And part of that responsibility is helping those that um, don't have those blessings and that need others to come alongside them and help. So what a great example that Harriet Tubman is for us today. Uh, another example, and, and this one you may not be familiar with, I wasn't familiar with, uh, but boy, uh, what, what a legacy he, lived, he left uh, in, in regards to his work uh, during slavery, and that's Bishop Richard Allen. Uh, in fact, he was one of the inspirations for Frederick Douglass. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Bishop Richard Allen, he, he uh, was a, um, a slave who helped start a, a service, a, a, a church service, a worship service, if you will, uh, for African Americans at, at a Methodist church in Pennsylvania. And he would start, he, he ran a service that was at 5 a.m. in the morning, and it was a service specifically geared for African Americans. Well, he kept doing that for, for quite a while, and it began to grow. And a lot of African Americans started showing up at this Methodist church at, at, at 5 a.m. Now, unfortunately, uh, what happened over time was the, the church. Um, became uncomfortable with the setup of you know him leading a service at 5 a.m. and, and uh, all the African Americans being there and sort of the integration that took place in that church. So they began implementing segregation. Well, he wasn't content with that. So he and the entire congregation walked out and started a new church that would eventually become the Bethel AME Church. Well, you know, I've, I've heard of the AME Church, but I never knew of its origins. Now, AME stands for African Methodist Episcopal Church. Well, here, Bishop Richard Allen 
was the one who launched that out because of his desire to preach the gospel, his desire to help other people encounter the one whom he encountered, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the church at the time were not willing to accept um, the, the African-American uh, church, if you will, or congregation um, without bringing in the aspect of segregation. So they walked out, they started the AME church, and uh, you know there's a long history there um, in regards to the black church and the, the AME foundations. Uh, but he is definitely uh, considered one of the, the founding fathers in regards to um, the, the history in, uh, of uh, revolution, uh, you know, an African-American revolutionary uh, in helping the African-American community during slavery. <clears throat> and, you know, here, here's another great example where even in the midst of, of an environment that should be welcoming, uh, you know, the church of all environments on the planet. Uh, the church should understand the importance of uh, being open to all people. I mean, that's the whole history of the church itself. You know, we see this in the Book of Acts when the door, when the Lord opened the door to the the Gentiles. You know, Jesus Himself opened the door to the Samaritans through the the woman at the well. Um, so there is this precedent in Scripture of God welcoming everybody from every tribe, nation, tongue, and ethnicity. You know, it's just consistent across the board. So for a church to, um, to treat the African-American congregation in a way that is unbiblical, you know, uh, that obviously would have been hard for anybody. Uh, and in, in a situation like that, it, it would have been really easy to just submit or to quit or to whatever. Uh, but he didn't do that. Uh, he didn't look at it from a victim mentality. He looked at it from a victor mentality, and he stepped out in faith. And obviously the Lord blessed him. And he, was, he, was, he is considered uh, one of the heroes of, of faith. Uh, in regards to the the movement in slavery to abolish slavery. And once again, another great example <clears throat> that we can follow today. Um, you know, these two examples, Harriet Tubman and, and, and Bishop uh, Richard Allen, one of the things they sought, you know, not just freedom, but especially, uh, you know, Bishop Richard Allen, he saw an opportunity there to... Um, to grow the kingdom in a way that the kingdom should grow. You know, in, in heaven, heaven is going to be uh, a unity of every tribe, tongue, nation, uh, ethnicity, race, color, creed. You know, all across the board, uh, there will be no segregation. And everybody is welcome. You know, the, the, the aspect of John 3.16 um, you know, for God so loved the world that whosoever, there is, there is no limit on that based on race, color, creed, ethnicity, nationality, whatever. <clears throat> so here, here's Bishop Richard Allen um, advancing the kingdom uh, in, a, in a way that the kingdom should look like, yet unfortunately um, 
gets pushed to the side. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about one of the goals uh, that God has for the church uh, and, and why the Lord brings in leadership into the church. Now, let me read this to you. It's Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 11. And this is Paul speaking about Jesus and, and what Jesus has done. It says, And he, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And here's the key. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that way that that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and its deceitful schemes. One of the aspects of uh, the church is unity. Um, you know, here, what, what Paul is saying is part of that growth in regards to the church itself is to grow into the unity of faith. Uh, and I don't want to get into the specifics of this, but there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity is just a submission to some sort of set of doctrine, per se, where unity is a, a diverse group of people coming together as one and not denying their uniqueness as far as individuals, per se, or, or, or groups, but they are working together as a greater group, the kingdom group, the, 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 the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And that's the goal, is to see that unity. But here's the thing, we can't have unity without racial reconciliation. You know, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about right now, and, and there's a lot of context on this, especially because of corona um, and all the other things that are going on in, in the world is how close are we to the end times? You know, how close are we to Jesus coming back? And, you know, obviously we're closer than we've ever been. Uh, but how close we are, only the Lord himself knows. knows. But uh, one of the things that uh, I believe will take place before the Lord comes back is the Lord is going to restore his church um, to a place where it, it is unified. And now it's not perfect, obviously, um, but... When it comes to a, a unified church, we can't have unity within the church without racial reconciliation. Because unfortunately today, when it's still, and this is something Dr. Martin Luther King said back in the 60s, that one of the most segregated days of the week is Sunday. Um, you know, you have uh, white churches and black churches and Hispanic churches. Uh, there are very few churches that are reflections of the kingdom. Uh, where you have a true multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial environment uh, that is birthed in unity. And that's not just an aspect of an individual local church. It needs to be the church as a whole. You know, a church in, in, an, in an entire area, in a city or a community of different churches they also need to be unified because God doesn't look at the kingdom as only as an individual church. He looks at it as his whole church um, here on the earth. You know, the local church is just a, a visible manifestation of the whole church. 
Uh, and each individual church needs to work together with the others. Uh, and there's a whole aspect of unity there. But there has to be racial reconciliation in order for unity to take place. You know, what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4. Uh, you have to have that unity because if there's not unity there, then um, we're not going to see the fullness of the kingdom that God has called the church to be. And I believe there's another great revival yet to come. I believe there's another great awakening yet to come. But we need a church that is unified in order for that to happen. And part of that unification is racial reconciliation. This is why it is so important for us as kingdom leaders, kingdom men and women, to not allow the political wind of doctrine, if you will, the political winds of, of importance to dictate uh, when racial reconciliation is important and needs to be addressed and when it's not. Uh, we have to fight for this consistently. So that's, that's where I want to move to next is what are some practical things you and I can do uh, to promote racial reconciliation on an ongoing basis? Uh, now, racial reconciliation is, is not going to be something that happens overnight. Okay, This is not uh, something that we can fix next week or next month. This is a long-term process, and it's going to take a lot of work because it's taken a lot of work to get us to where we are now, and it's going to take a lot of work to get us to where we need to be. But it is work that is worth the effort because it's a work that is, that is a reflection of the heart of of God. So let me talk about three really quick things that we can do individually. Now I'm just talking on an individual individual level right now um, because it has to begin with the individual. Uh, you know, it's, it's really easy for us in the church to say, oh yeah, the church needs to be involved in racial reconciliation and we absolve ourselves as individuals of any responsibility because we're looking at the church, meaning anybody but me. <laughs> so when it comes to racial reconciliation, we first have to look in the mirror. That's where it begins. It begins on the individual level. Um, and, and it also begins on the individual level in, in respect to uh, reconciliation and relationship. Because, you know, the whole message of the gospel is reconciliation. Listen to, uh, listen to Paul again here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. You're starting in verse 18. This is Paul speaking. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he entrusts to us, you and me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So here's what Paul's saying is not only have we been reconciled to God through Christ, we have become ministers of reconciliation in that we have now a responsibility to promote reconciliation. In a way, it's, it is literally God working through us, saying, number one, be reconciled to God himself through Jesus. But there's also an aspect of being reconciled to each other. 
Because the gospel is not just about reconciling us to God. It's about reconciling us to each other. Because you can't have unity without reconciliation. So as individuals, we have to be willing to accept that responsibility of being ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, and promoting, fostering, and leading in reconciliation in our relationships. So whether that's in our family, in, in, in our you know, friends or whatever, in our community, in our churches, whatever, we need to be those ministers of reconciliation where we are promoting reconciliation on, on all levels. So how do we do that? Let me get to that here. How do we do that as individuals? Well, there's three things that, that we can do. Number one, we need to pray. Um, prayer is, is, is a primary key in all things when it comes to kingdom, but especially in this area. We have got to pray and ask God uh, for help in this. So that's number one is pray. Uh, number two, we need to ask God to reveal some things. And I'm going to get into that here in a minute. And then number three, we need to ask God to give us some things. So we need to pray to God. We need to ask God to reveal some things. And then we need to ask God to give some things. And let me open up all three of those really quick. Uh, first of all, when it comes to prayer, we, we have got to pray. God is the only one who can change this. Um, sin has caused this problem. I mean, ultimately, racism uh, and, and division is a manifestation of sin. And the, enemy, and, the, and the work of the enemy. You know, Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And clearly, racism, uh, racial injustice, uh, and, and the racial divide, racial barriers, all those things are manifestations of the enemy and sin. And the only one who has power over the enemy of sin, number one, is Jesus. Um, not that that absolves all responsibility anywhere, but uh, it needs to begin there. So we need to pray. What do we need to pray for? Number one, we need to pray for repentance. When it comes to racial reconciliation, we first have to look at ourselves in the mirror and, and ask ourselves uh, or ask the Lord to, to bring ourselves to a point of repentance. Uh, and, and maybe that's just an aspect of, of you know what, Lord, this has just not been important to me, but I know it's important to you, and I ask for your forgiveness for, for not making this as important as you do. Uh, and maybe there's some areas in your life that the Lord will reveal that you, you need to come and confess and ask the Lord to give you a heart of repentance for in regards to racial reconciliation. Uh, and that is an aspect of, of just your own relationship with the Lord. And maybe part of that is is you working through that relationship. Uh, maybe there's just some areas that, you know, you need to work on in, in regards to your relationship with the Lord. Uh, because if we are not fully connected and walking in line with the Lord, then there's no way we can walk in line with his heart. Um, so whatever that is, there's, there's just, there needs to be um, a heart of repentance in all of us in regards to that. Uh, so we need to pray and ask God for a heart of repentance. We need to pray and ask God just for a heart of reconciliation that is uh, grounded in forgiveness. Uh, both asking for forgiveness and receiving forgiveness um, from others. Now, this is not just necessarily in the area of racial reconciliation. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you know that there needs to be reconciliation. Family members or friends or, or whatever. Um, 
reconciliation, especially in this context, I know I'm talking specifically about racial reconciliation, but it's not limited to that. Um, and, and walking through reconciliation in some area of your life will definitely help in bringing about racial reconciliation in other areas. So just pray for the Lord, to the Lord for a heart of reconciliation. And then we need to pray that God bring about uh, restoration. Uh, the restoration of the unity of the body, uh, both on an individual level uh, in, in regards to a local church, but also as the church as a whole. We need to ask the Lord for restoration of unity. You know, exactly what, what the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Uh, until we obtain the unity of the faith uh, and we become mature. You know, later on in, in Corinthians, Paul talks about the, the aspect of, of um, being divided. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he chides the, the Corinthians saying, you know, some of you say, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or, or you know, I'm of Jesus. And, you know, Paul says, hey, is Christ divided? That's, that's not of the Lord. And he says, when you're divided, then you are immature, so if that's true about the Corinthians, about that area, well, it's absolutely true about us today in the church, that if there's racial division in the church, it means we're immature. Um, so we need that aspect of restoration uh, of unity, and that will come through maturity. So those three areas we need to pray for, and it's not, those are not the only ones, but those are the big ones that I want to promote tonight. We need to pray to God for a heart of repentance. We need to pray to God for a heart for reconciliation. And then we need to pray to God asking him for restoration of unity within the body. So that's number one is pray to God. Uh, number two, we need to ask God to reveal some things. Uh, now, there's a lot of things that God needs to reveal. Um, but again, I'm talking on an individual level. Uh, there's, there's a few things that I think it's really important for us to have God reveal in regards to our role, our individual role in racial reconciliation. And, and the first thing is uh, asking God to reveal any wrong thinking that you and I may have in regards to racial reconciliation or to uh, racial injustice or whatever. Um, we are all affected and infected by sin. And sin distorts the way we think. Not one of us on this planet, me, you, Pastor Jeff, um, anybody, can see things clearly. Only God sees things clearly. So we need to ask God to reveal any hindrances in our own thinking to being ministers of reconciliation. And that, that's a hard thing, and that kind of plays back uh, you know, into number one there as far as the aspect of repentance. This is definitely an area that all of us need some repentance in. Um, we need God to correct our thinking. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which will, is a big help in this area in regards to revealing the, the wrong thinking that we have, is Hebrews 4.12. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, says this, that the Word of God is living and active, uh, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing or dividing between the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner, uh, another version says a revealer, 
of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it's that last part of this verse. You know, the Word of God is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And this is why it's so important to be in the Word of God. Uh, if we're going to ask God to reveal some things, we need to be in the Word to allow the Word to get in us, to work in us, to be a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> Again, we all have, uh, we are all infected and affected by sin. And we need God to show us where we're off, where our thinking is off. So we need to ask God to reveal our own wrong thinking. That's that's the first area of, of revelation. The next area we need we need to talk about is the the aspect of the influence of the political worldview. Uh, because if if we don't recognize where the political worldview influences us, uh, then we're in trouble. You know, one of the things that uh, that I've noticed over the last couple of years, uh, which you may not know, is I, I was planning to run for office a, a few years ago, and I spent a lot of time in the political world, uh, you know, going to the meetings and learning the process and, you know, how to develop a campaign, all that stuff. Well, it for a variety of reasons, it, it, it didn't work out. and uh, But what I did learn was how, how um, influential the political worldview ha has become on the church and how much the political worldview has infected, and I don't mean that in a good way, the way a lot of Christians think. In my opinion, the political worldview is one of the most dangerous worldviews out there because... I don't have time to go into all the details on this. I did a whole message on the political worldview a while back. You can go look, look that up. Uh, but one of the areas that I want to talk about in regards to the political worldview, so the political worldview teaches that anybody who disagrees with me uh, ideologically, they are my enemy. When it comes to reconciliation, if you start off looking at somebody as your enemy, you can take reconciliation right off the board because there's no way you're going to reconcile with somebody you believe is your enemy. So the political worldview is very, very dangerous. And we have to ask the Lord to reveal where we are in regards to uh, the influence of the political worldview on our own thinking. Because if, if I'm allowing the political worldview to influence my thinking, uh, I'm not thinking from a kingdom perspective. And I think we all can agree that when it comes to racial reconciliation, politics, politicians, political parties love to use racial reconciliation as a means to their own end, you know, whether it's getting elected or promoting their own agenda. But when it comes to actually fulfilling racial reconciliation, it just doesn't happen. So, Politics, politicians, the government uh, cannot bring about true racial reconciliation. Uh, that's something only the kingdom can do. So we can't allow the political worldview to influence us in regards to reconciliation, because if we do, then we've already lost the game up front. So we need to ask the Lord to reveal that. And then finally, we need to ask the Lord to, to reveal uh, any influence of fear. You know, this is a very difficult area. And frankly, it's, a it's an area that most... 
um, most Christians and most uh, pastors don't want to delve into uh, because they're afraid. Uh, and I get that. I understand that um, because, you know, this, this is a very difficult thing to delve into the waters of racial reconciliation because there's so much emotion, there's so much pain, uh, there's there's so much politics. You know, we just talked about that here. Uh, there, there's it's it's a, it's a, it can be very much a minefield um, that you're wading into. However, um, as Christians, as uh, people who claim the name of Christ, we have to first and foremost remember that Jesus has already won this victory. And we, as believers, should never, ever think like a victim ever again. Of all people on the planet, we should never think like a victim ever. Uh, and unfortunately, especially when it comes to racial reconciliation, uh, the, the thought process that a lot of people go through begins from the perspective of a victim. And we can't do that. Uh, and that's what uh, the enemy does a lot with fear, is gets us to think from a victim mentality, and we just can't do that. So we need to ask the Lord to reveal uh, how much fear is influencing us. So those are the three areas uh, of revelation that we need, is our own wrong thinking, the influence of the political worldview, and the influence of fear. And then finally, uh, the last part is to ask God to give. Uh, what do we need to ask Him to give? We need to ask Him to give us a heart of compassion. Um, we have to have a, a heart of compassion uh, for those that are different than us, uh, whether that's racially different, economically different, um, whatever, just different. Uh, we need to have that heart of compassion. Uh, we also need to have a desire to serve. Uh, you know, a lot of times when it comes to racial reconciliation, we want other people to come to us, or we want other people to cross the, the, the valley of, of uh, reconciliation and meet us on our side. Um, that's not a heart of service. We have to be willing to make that that difficult journey. Uh, we need to be the forerunners. You know, when Israel was facing Goliath, everybody stood on the sidelines except for David uh, because he had a heart of a servant. And we need to have that heart of a servant. And that leads into the third thing is uh, we need to ask God to give us a willingness to sacrifice because it's going to be a sacrifice. Um, we're we're going to have to sacrifice some things in regards to racial reconciliation. Uh, and part of that sacrifice is stepping out onto the battlefield. You know, the only one that, that Goliath uh, went after was David because everybody else was on the sidelines. And for the most part uh, in the church, when it comes to racial reconciliation, most people are sitting on the sidelines uh, because they see people get on the battlefield and they get attacked. Well, it's the nature of the beast when you're in war. And we are in war. Uh, you know, we're not in war against our brothers and sisters who are different than us. We're at war with, against the enemy. Uh, but the great thing is Jesus has already won that war. And we have no, no nothing to fear because we can walk in victory. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a sacrifice. But even Jesus himself showed us the way in regards to sacrifice. He became the ultimate sacrifice, right? So Jesus didn't just give us the message. He showed us the method by, with, by which the message needed to be lived out. He was our example. 
So those are the three areas that I really want to encourage you in when it comes to practical ways that we can be involved in racial reconciliation. They're very personal. Uh, number one is we need to pray to God for a heart of repentance. Um, we need to pray to God for that, that aspect of reconciliation and restoration and unity. Uh, number two, we need to ask God to reveal our own wrong thinking, reveal any influence of the political worldview in our own thoughts and our own minds, and then also reveal that influence of fear. And then finally, we need to ask God to give us a heart of compassion, uh, to give us a desire to serve, and to give us a willingness to sacrifice. And you know, we started off tonight talking about two great heroes of the faith, uh, the, these these African-American heroes, uh, Harriet Tubman, the Black Moses, and Bishop Richard Allen, who did the very things we're talking about tonight. You know, they, they prayed, they believed, they stepped out in faith, um, and, and they, they were willing to sacrifice and serve, and God blessed them for it, and their acts of faith were key in bringing about the the tearing down of of the the horrible aspect of slavery, uh, you know, there's a lot of others in there, but it took uh, um, them and others working together, following that heart that God gave them, and th there are great examples for us to follow. So, as I said last week, I, I hope you're encouraged to to do some research on Black history, uh, to learn about our African American brothers and sisters of faith who we can follow as examples as they follow the example of Christ, the ultimate one who stepped out in faith uh, in regards to believing that truth is the answer. You know, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there was no doubt in his mind uh, about the victory that he had over sin, hell, death, and the grave because he's God, right? Um, but we can have that same confidence and boldness uh, because he's done it for us. So I encourage you to um, be a minister of reconciliation, to be a, an ambassador of Christ, to follow the examples of these great African-American brothers and sisters who follow the example of Christ and that we would all follow the example of Christ. So as, as we come to a close, let me pray. Um, and, and uh, encourage all of us in, in being ministers of reconciliation. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for the examples of these great African-American brothers and sisters of faith who showed us how we today can be ministers of reconciliation. Uh, what they did in history is, is a pattern today for us um, to, to change the future. So, Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's listening tonight uh, or, or later on this message. Lord, I pray a, a blessing on them. Lord, I pray that you give all of us that heart for reconciliation and that we would accept the responsibility of the blessings you've given us to turn around and be for others uh, what you have been to us. And, Lord, I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's that's one of the things we want to do here at Turning Point Church is we want to be ministers of reconciliation. We want to have that positive impact on the community. And one of the ways we do that is through through your partnership and your faithful giving here at Turning Point Church. I just, again, I want to say thank you for that. I know it's pastor's heart to say thank you. 
And I thank you for your, your faithful giving, your continued partnership. And, you know, if, if you're inspired to become a partner with us uh, here tonight, there's three ways you can do that. You can, uh, you can partner with us online at tpcfamily.org slash give. Uh, you can text the word give to 817-617-4378. Or you can mail us here at Turning Point Church, uh, 10,700 Old Burleson Road, Fort Worth, Texas, 76140. Uh, we couldn't do this without you, our financial partners, uh, because, you know, it takes money to advance the gospel, but it's money well worth invested because it brings a return on transformed lives. So thank you so much for your partnership. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, we bless you in Jesus' name, and I look forward to partnering with you in the ministry of reconciliation and seeing a great move of racial reconciliation within the church for the sake of unity so that God can prepare his church for a great revival and the great awakening that is yet to come. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.